Now, as you are able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by Dustin. Today's reading comes from Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elmas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elmas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun." Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good to be with you here this morning. My name is Ryan. For those of you that I may not know, I'm on staff here, and it is a joy to be able to come and open up the Word of God with you. Has anyone ever done um, any, uh, been on a mission trip before? Been on a mission trip, short-term, long-term, either way? Several of you in here have done that. Well, the title of the message today is Being a Missionary, and we're, really we're exploring the very first Christian missionary journey ever. Um, but typically when you have a title like being a missionary, you would expect uh, a missionary to come and present that to you. And so typically, um, I'm not what is, is known as a missionary, because when we think of a missionary, we think of someone who is going overseas and doing work, uh, working with an organization like Love Matters Most, something like that. Like, that's kind of what we think of as mission work and of missionary journeys and different things like that. And while those things are important and valuable, I want to reshape our, our mindset today to understand that we are, uh, if we are a Christian in here, we are on mission for Christ. And we talk about this here. We talk about how we are all pastors to our areas of influence. Um, if we have put our trust in Jesus Christ, we are a missionary. And if we are not being sent somewhere else, it's because God is leading us to be a missionary here where we are at right now. Um, but we are doing mission work. I have been on uh, mission trips before though as well. Um, and one of the trips that I've taken, I took for a few years in a row was over the summer, my family and I, and a lot of my friends, we would go to Mexico and serve at a medical clinic down in Mexico. And so I do have proof that I went on this trip. Uh, there is, 
me and my brother, uh, I'm the one in the green hat and, and several of my friends there. Um, we are most likely not actually doing any work, but they gave us tools and we wanted to look cool. So <laughs> we didn't do that either. But, um, but, um, but those, those trips were really valuable and kind of stepping out of my, my comfort zone, stepping out of, of you know, my culture and, and what was normal and going to a place that, that was a little bit different and kind of experiencing missions. And, and what I love about uh, short-term mission trips is it's every day you get up and you're like, hey, I'm doing mission work. Like you're really living fully committed to Jesus in those, those moments. But one of the, the most memorable trips I had was one where we never left the area. We never left the, the, the region. And Actually, we were supposed to go to uh, Mississippi, New Orleans area and, and serve and do some cleanup after Hurricane Katrina had hit. And basically, uh, a few months before we were supposed to go, it was a group of high school and college age students. And, and they basically came and said, you know what, actually, it's, uh, the work is too crazy. And our partners were saying, it's just not worth it to bring anyone in, especially when you're kind of bringing a younger group of people in. Um, and, and so just, you know, we'll, we'll postpone the trip for a few months when it's a little bit more uh, or a little bit less chaotic. And so what uh, the, the pastors at our church did was they kind of pivoted from this idea of going to Mississippi, New Orleans, um, to doing a trip that was local. And so they called it Mission 916. Now, this is similar to what our students did this year on their spring break trip uh, where they showed up here every single day and every single day they went out to the, the local area and just served locally um, as part of what is now known as Youth Citywide and they're preparing to do that again this year because they found great joy in it. And I know for myself when I did Mission 916 for the very first time, I, I remember my immediate thought was, well, this is a terrible idea. Like who wants to serve locally, right? Like who wants to just wake up and, and be at home and do a bunch of work projects at home? Like that doesn't sound like very much fun. But what happened was my, mind, my mindset really began to shift. And what happened is every morning I woke up in my own bed, but with that same mindset that I had in Mexico where I woke up saying, hey, today I'm on mission for Christ. And we would go to our church and, and be with our local body of believers and worship and encourage, worship with one another and encourage one another. And then we would be sent out. And many times we really did not go very far. I mean, we went downtown, I think well, at least one of the days, but, but some of the days we just literally went across the street to local businesses and said, hey, how can we serve you? We went to members of our, our church community and went to their houses that were five minutes away and said, hey, can we serve you today? Can we be a blessing to you today? We were missionaries in our local context. And this helped change my mindset, change my perspective and my understanding of what it looks like to live on missions, realizing that, hey, as Christians, Acts 1.8 applies to us every single day that we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we are witnesses of Jesus Christ locally and to the ends of the earth. That is the mission we have been given. And it's not for a trip we're gonna take next summer. It's not for a trip we're gonna take over spring break. It's not for something we're gonna do in three years. That is the mission that we have each and every day that we follow Christ. We are to be a witness and a light for him. And so that is what our call is. And so as we look at Acts 13 and 14, this journey that Saul and Barnabas will take, I want us to, to understand how do we live this out on a daily basis 
And also it might stir up in you a desire to maybe uh, take Dustin up on his word or, or, and go and say, hey, I wanna go and serve in Kenya. I wanna go serve Love Matters Most and, and, and go somewhere else and do some missions um, outside. Maybe that is what God is stirring in you and praise God for that. We need people who are like that. But also we have a lot of people who have been called to be missionaries right here in Carmichael. And we start in, in the, the present circumstance and the present place that we are at. So let's dive in to Acts chapter 13. We'll start in verse one. This is now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had also been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And so we see this diverse group of leaders, but we see a, a really uh, powerful group of, of teachers and prophets here in this first verse. It's almost an embarrassment of riches here at the church in Antioch. And you might look and think, well, wait a second, like why do they have so many people serving in this one church? I mean, some, some big names are in here and, and shouldn't we spread them out a little bit and, and get them moving to other places, you know, to, to share the resources, to share the riches with everyone else. But I, I wanna focus on the church in Antioch for just a moment because they were doing a lot right. As a matter of fact, this was the first place where Christians were called Christians. And the reason for that is that they were doing so many Christ-like things that their identity could only be follower of Christ. That their identity had to be in Christ because they were pouring or they were getting poured into by Christ and they're pouring out Christ to everyone they came in contact with. The disciples, when they showed up there for the first time, they were, they were pleased and took joy in the, the, the faithfulness of this church and the way they were living out their, their mission. This was a church that was known for their generosity. This is a church that clearly is spending time developing leaders. This is a church where people are coming to know Christ. And so when you look at all of that and you think about being the church, here's what I wanna say, being the church that God calls us to be will produce good fruit. Being the church that God has called us to be will produce good fruit. Now it doesn't mean that everything we do is going to be successful. But it does mean that you should look around at the church and you should, you should see some of these signs. Is there generosity? Are there leaders being raised up? Are there people coming to know Christ? And, and just as a moment of celebration here at Christ Community Church, like as I look around, I see these things happening here. I mean, talk about leaders being raised up. And, and, and when I look around at staff meeting, I can look and see someone like, like Kate Nyborg, who's our middle school pastor, Riley Bomer, who serves on our worship team, Alex Miller, who leads our, our sound and tech group, um, Justin Harcherick, who is on our facilities team. All of these people, this is just a small sample size uh, of people who grew up in the church, were raised and discipled here at Christ Community, and now stepped into leadership roles and in part are also helping now to build and invest into the next generation of leaders. And so again, this is just a small example of what our church is doing, but a church that's marked by generosity, Dustin just shared about the financial giving that, that you all have participated in, that you've been generous in your giving. And so we are able to be generous to ministry partners and to do ministry here locally and to the ends of the earth. That we had the backpack drive a few weeks ago and gave 300 backpacks to kids in need. This is a church where also people are still coming to know Christ in uh, just a little over a month. We'll have our baptism service and we will hear the stories once again uh, of people who came to know Christ and, and the work that the church has participated in, in, in their story. 
And so we're seeing some, some fruit from being faithful to the word of God and doing what God has called us to do as a local congregation of believers. And so part of being on mission is about doing the small things right. Part of being on mission is also about joining together in mission. It's not about us doing it individually, but collectively, about using all the gifts, about having a diverse representation of people. And this is what we saw at the church in Antioch. You see some of these names. Barnabas was a, a Levite. He came from the, the priestly line of Israel. Then there's Simeon called Niger. Niger is a, a nickname that is used for him. That word means black. Um, and so it's implied that he has dark skin, uh, which most likely means that he is from some part of Africa. And so here you see, again, the gospel reaching the ends of the earth, but also you see people from a, a wide variety of places that are gathering together to serve in mission together because it is the same Lord, the same baptism that they are, are serving. And so now here they are serving one another and serving together. Then we see Lucius of Cyrene, that is a, a Greek name. Uh, but again, Cyrene is in the Northern part of Africa. So we see a, another location in there. Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Menaean is a Hellenistic Jew, so not born and raised in Jerusalem. Um, but also says that he grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. So he most likely came from power and, and from wealth. So we're seeing even potentially different socioeconomic classes here. And then of course there's Saul, who we know from scripture is like a Jew of Jews, right? If you look up Jewish in the dictionary, like Saul's face will be staring back at you. And so we have this diverse group of people and we need to remember that when we serve on mission, it really is about us as the whole church coming together and participating in this together. That the church needs you and the church needs your gifts and you need the church and other gifts and other perspectives. We hold on to the core, but we can come with different attitudes. We can come with different ideas, different uh, different ways of, of doing things and, and different ways of thinking as long as we are holding to the gospel message. And so we need that diversity and that collection of all the gifts participating and being used as part of the church. And so you have value and you have a role and others have value and a role in your life as well and in serving Christ together is what we are called to do. And so here this church was, was doing things the right way. And, and so because of this, we see this moment now in verse two where, where really they're going through a, a pretty normal, um, just spiritual discipline, a normal routine probably of their life. But it tells in verse two that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And so th there's this really cool moment where, where the Spirit shows up in, in the middle of a, a basic spiritual discipline, in the middle of, of, of a normal worship experience. And so here they are worshiping and fasting, they're having times of prayer, and the Spirit shows up and says, hey, set these men apart because I have a specific task for them. And so they're gonna be sent off on missions and the church lays their hands on them and they send them off. And so you think, okay, well now they are missionaries. Now they're doing missions work, right? But the mission work didn't start when they left the room. The mission work didn't start when they laid hands on Saul and Barnabas. The mission work started the minute they gave their lives to Christ. Because as followers of Christ, we are called to make disciples, or like we say here, to make fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. 
And the location is not as important as the faithfulness to listen to what God has called us to do and to serve him in any context that we're in. And so if God is calling you somewhere else, then yes, you're on mission in that location. But if God is not calling you somewhere else, then you are on mission right here where you are at. And God is calling you to this place at this time to serve him in your context now. And so we need to be faithful to listen to the word of God and do what he has called us to do. To understand that we are missionaries, that when you wake up tomorrow morning, you say, hey, I am on mission for Christ. I'm here to be a witness of Jesus Christ locally and wherever he may call me to be. And here again, we see these spiritual disciplines take place, right? We're week 10 of the Acts series. I think we're now 10 weeks into talking about prayer and worship and, and being the church. There's a church of prayer and worship. And so they're having this moment of, of worship and, and we need to be worshipers. We need to gather together in worship. We don't give up meeting together, but we also need to live lives of worship. Those individuals, we have individual times of worship as well that we worship with our families, that we worship in small groups. We need to be worshipers. And God shows up in our worship. He presents himself to us in worship. He guides us in worship. We need to be people of prayer because we've seen over and over and over again how God allows us to partner with him through prayer. That for some reason he, he decides on certain things to, to wait and respond to our prayers but he listens to our prayers. He hears our voice. And so we need to be a people who pray. But this also talks about fasting. It's not something that we've talked about in the Acts series so far, um, but it's an important spiritual discipline for Christians. And, and I just wanna preach to myself for a minute here. And if you wanna listen, that's fine. Um, but I'll be honest, this is not something that I am great at. This is not a regular habit of mine. I've gone through phases of fasting where maybe there was, there was a time where I had a, a single day of the week and I fasted for that one day. Um, there have been times where, uh, where I'm praying for something or my family's praying for something that, that is really important. So we will fast uh, for, for a certain period of time where we just spend intense time in prayer. But here's the thing, fasting is something that it amplifies our prayer life. It amplifies our worship life. And it does this because what we do is we remove something that is important to us. We remove something that we desire, that we long for, that we hunger for, that we need. And then when those moments come of desire, when those moments come of hunger, when those moments come of longing, we turn that attention and that focus to God rather than to the physical thing to meet our needs instead. And so we say, God, I'm gonna focus this time and this energy on pursuing you rather than on pursuing this other thing that normally is a part of my life. And so when we fast, it comes typically in seasons. It can be fasting from food for a day. It can be fasting from media for a week or a month. Uh, this is not primarily about dieting, right? That's not what this is about. Um, this also is not something where we're like fasting from something that is godly. Right? So if you're like, hey, I'm gonna fast from church for three months, don't do it. Like that's not, the, that's not the point here. The point is to temporarily give up something that we, that we long for, something we desire, something we need so that our attention is turned to God and, and in that way it amplifies our, our prayer life and our worship life. And so this is what the church was doing and they had these regular habits and and they build these habits because they know that the mission requires them to know Christ. And these habits help connect them to God. 
And so we said this back in, I think, week two of the Acts series, but I'll remind us of this again, that the church is the collection of God's people who live as witnesses of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we are called to be. We are a collection of God's people who are not living for our glory or for our comfort or for something that we can gain, but we are living as witnesses of Jesus Christ, not through our own strength and wisdom, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if we are gonna be faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ and faithful to the Spirit's call, we need to know Jesus Christ and we need to recognize the voice of the Spirit. This is why we keep talking about how we need to be people of the word, that we need to read the word, we need to study the word, we need to memorize the word. Because this is how we know who Christ is, how we know who God is, and this is how we know the voice of the Spirit. Because if the Spirit starts telling us something that is apart from the word of God, that's not the Spirit. And so this is how we recognize what we are called to do and who we are called to be as the church. And this is what the, the, the Christians at Antioch were doing when they sent Saul and, and Barnabas on this missionary journey. It's what Saul and Barnabas are gonna do. They're gonna listen to the Spirit and go where the Spirit leads them to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Now, immediately they, they show up and the first place they go is to Cyprus, which is interesting because this is actually the, the home of Barnabas. This is where Barnabas is from. And so it's just a reminder again, like the very first Christian missionary journey ever, the first place that they went was home. And so we can be missionaries to our hometown, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our schools, in our businesses, and the places where God has put us right now. We are called to be missionaries to these places. And so they head to Cyprus and immediately they face some opposition. They're, they're meeting with the pro-council. Uh, he's a Roman province leader, so someone who's important. Uh, it tells us in scripture that he is an intelligent man. Uh, the gospel is not foolishness, um, but it can be reasoned and, and illogically there is truth that is to be found here. And so Saul and Barnabas are speaking with the pro-council and, and trying to urge him to accept the gospel message and to put his trust in Christ. And yet there are those who are advisors for the pro-council who are speaking against the gospel. And listen to how Saul uh, talks to them and, and what he says to them in verse 9. It says, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So th this is a, a moment in scripture that, that I think is descriptive, not prescriptive. Meaning this is, is telling us just about what's happening. It's not telling us that this is exactly how we should respond in every situation like this. So if we're going to live life on mission, if we're gonna be missionaries, we're gonna face opposition. We're gonna face rejection. We're gonna face those who oppose the gospel and those who are trying to actually prevent us or even harm the work that we are trying to do. Now the question is, is that when we face opposition, do we immediately respond with the same words that Paul used and call the people who are opposing us and walk up to them and say, hey, you are a child of the devil. That's probably not the best thing for every situation. This is a moment, remember, where, where Saul is listening to the Holy Spirit. 
And I think he's being called to speak very powerfully and boldly in a very specific circumstance. But here's what I don't want us to miss. In this passage, what I think we see is we really see a love that Paul has for this person. And Saul wants to see this person come to Christ, not to see them defeated or destroyed, but to see them transformed and renewed and reconciled with God. And here's why I think we can make that assumption. I don't know, there is a little bit of debate amongst commentators and, and preachers about, hey, is this a conversion moment for Elemis? We certainly see it for the pro-council, but is Elemis being converted here as well? Um, it's not in the text. So I'm not gonna say yes or no, but I want us to see what happens to Elemis, that he is someone who is working against the gospel, trying to prevent the gospel message from going forward. And what happens, someone comes and speaks truth to him very boldly. And then he is blinded for a time. Now, since we've been going through Acts, this should sound very familiar. Because this is what happened to Saul. Right? He, he was trying to prevent the gospel from going forward. He was persecuting Christians. Jesus shows up and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment... Saul is blinded, and we see that Saul gives his life to Christ in that, during that time. And so I think that when Saul is speaking to Elemis, and, and he's speaking a situation that is very similar, very familiar to him, he's going to be looking and really seeing himself in this other person. See, as Christians, sometimes we get caught up in thinking, well, we are saved, and we know the gospel, and we follow the Bible, and we go to church, and we do all the right things. And so we look at the people who don't know Christ, and we go, shame on you for not being like me. What we really should do is we should look and say, wow, you are exactly like me. As a matter of fact, I'm exactly like you. But Christ lives in me, and he has transformed me. And he has made me new and he has forgiven me of my sins. That's not about what I have done, but about what he has done for me. And he can do that for you as well. See, we should be pointing people to the gospel message that God so loved the world that he gave his one only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We are all sinners deserving of wrath and yet God extends grace and mercy to us anyways. So we need to extend that grace and mercy and love towards others, speaking the truth boldly, powerfully, yes, but speaking the truth in love. But then I just want to acknowledge the pro-council. The pro-council also comes to faith and tells in verse 12 that he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. And it's really interesting because he wasn't amazed by the miracle. He was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. And sometimes when we go on missions, when we live as missionaries, we, we think, oh, I have to have all the answers. I have to do all these incredible things and, and, and I need to be smarter and I need to be wealthier. And there's so many different things that I need before I can really serve God in missions. And all we really need is the word of the Lord. It's not us that has power. It's the word of the Lord that has power. As a matter of fact, if you, if you sit in church on a Sunday and, and, and you feel your heart being transformed or you feel you, yourself being stirred or moved in any different way, it's not because of how great the preaching is. It's because of how great the word of God is. The word of God, when it goes out, it never returns void. That can't be said for our power and our strength and our words. And so our goal is just to be faithful, to know the word of God and to be able to open up the word of God and present the Bible, to present scripture, to present the word of God to people. Because this is what is amazing. Not how eloquent we are or how amazing we are, 
The word of God is what is amazing. And it has great power to transform hearts. Again, when we live as missionaries, we will certainly face opposition. And so skip down to verse 48. It tells us this, that when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so here is a, a moment where there is opposition that they face. And, you know, it starts with some good. It starts with people giving their lives to Christ. And then they face opposition and they're kind of sent out of the city and they shake their dust off. But then it ends with the disciples being filled with joy. And well, wait, 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 you just faced rejection. You just faced opposition. You just had people who, who didn't accept the word. Why are you filled with joy? And I think it goes back to verse 48, which said, that those who were appointed for eternal life believed. It's an acknowledgement of two things. One, that God is still moving. That while we might face rejection over here, God is certainly gonna be working somewhere else. There's gonna be success found somewhere else. And so even as we may face opposition, as we may face rejection, we may feel like the mission was a failure, we know that God is always up to something and that God is going to win in the end. And there's victory in Christ. And so we are reminded of that and we keep our joy and our hope in that. But we also have hope because those the Lord appointed for belief, those are gonna to come to belief. That if God is ready to draw them into himself, then he is going to have success in doing that. And so we keep hoping, we keep praying, we keep preaching, we keep proclaiming the word of God, knowing that there's gonna be times where we feel like we have failed, but God is still moving and God is still victorious. As a matter of fact, you think about Saul in this moment, like he's the one facing rejection. He knows better than anyone else to keep the hope, to keep trusting, to keep praying, to know that God can redeem even the most unredeemable stories. Because if you were to look for an example of the person who is least likely to become a Christian, it would have been Saul. And yet here he is proclaiming the word of God faithfully and truthfully. And so they leave with joy knowing, hey, the word of God has been proclaimed and maybe that seed was planted. And while we face rejection, maybe that seed will be watered eventually and it'll get some sunlight and it'll grow and it will eventually produce fruit. We don't know what God is doing in the hearts of people. So we just keep proclaiming the gospel faithfully, praying, hoping, expecting. God to do the things that only he can do. Now I want to skip all the way down to verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 19. In chapter 14, we see a similar pattern where they face some rejection. They have some success, um, but they get a little bit of both. And our mission, remember, is to be faithful, to proclaim the word of God wherever we go. Like Jesus said this in many different parables. Um, you think about the parable of the sower, casting seed knowing, yes, some is going to just get eaten on the road, some is going to grow in the weeds or the rocky soil, and it's going to look like it's going to produce fruit, and it won't, but some will produce a good fruit. And so we just have to be faithful to proclaim the gospel, to cast the seed. But we also need to understand that this comes at a cost. And so verse 19 tells us this, of chapter 14, says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. 
They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. And so here is this moment where Paul is stoned to the point where they think he's dead. And I don't know what miracle God did in this moment. I don't know if, if he was legally dead and he came back to life in this moment or if he was just close to death and they prayed for him and he had enough healing and strength to get up and, and return back to the work that he had done. But this is a difficult moment. But it's a cost that Paul knew was, was, was a potential cost. He went to serve Christ knowing that his life could be on the line every time he did it. And so I hope that as Christians, I hope that we wake up tomorrow and say, you know what, today I'm living on mission for Christ. But before we do that, we need to count the cost. We need to know the risks. Now, most of us here in person or watching online are not gonna leave today and risk death for proclaiming Jesus Christ. But we might risk some other things. We might risk friendships, we might risk job opportunities, we might risk finances, we might risk comfort, we might risk the things of this world. It will be costly. Being a follower of Christ is surrendering your life to him. There is a cost that comes at being on mission for Christ. But it is so worth it. It is worth it because we know who God is. And we know that as much as we can give for him, he has given infinitely more to us. We know how wonderful, how powerful, how loving, how amazing he really is. And as we get to know God, we'll start to see the world through his eyes and we'll start to see lost souls who are headed on a path that leads to destruction when we will know that there is no other option than to live on mission and to be witnesses of Jesus Christ so that those who are headed on a path to destruction might hear the word of God and might receive faith and move on a path that leads to life. We do this because we also know that we're not alone in this. We have a community of believers and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us whose power and strength is the one that's really going to do the work. And so we live faithfully, we live lives on mission because we know the value to ourselves we know that this is what God has called us to, and we know the value to others who we come in contact with, that when we proclaim the gospel to them, their lives, their eternities might be transformed. And so church, I just wanna encourage us to live as missionaries, to live a life on mission, to wake up tomorrow and say, you know what, today I'm on mission to be a witness of Jesus Christ. Let's be faithful to the gospel. Let's be the church that God has called us to be. And I wanna just encourage you with a really practical step um, next week as we have our all-church barbecue, um, it's really a perfect opportunity to invite people because, you know, free food. But also next week we are diving into Acts chapter 15 and, and really the message of Acts 15, spoiler alert, um, is, is really that it's all about the gospel, that it's all about Christ and that we need to constantly be reminding ourselves of the gospel message. And so I'm gonna have a chance next week to present the gospel. And so I'd, I would encourage you that, hey, if there's a, a friend, a neighbor, a family member that you've been wanting to bring to church, um, tempt them with the free food uh, and know that they will be hearing a gospel message next Sunday as well. And so would love it if you would join me in that challenge. And um, this week, live as missionaries for Christ. Be the church that God's calls to be. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your spirit that dwells in those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are leading and guiding us. God, help us to know your voice and to have the courage and the faithfulness to go and do what you have called us to do. God, wherever you send us, whether that's here locally or to the ends of the earth, God, we are your faithful servants ready to serve you. So continue to use us individually, continue to use us collectively, continue to use Christ Community Church to proclaim your word. And God, would you give us favor in our interactions with others, that they would see your love in us, that they would see your truth in us and would come to know you. And God, that they would become fully committed followers of you as well. So God, thank you for the opportunity to partner with you in what you are doing. We love you and praise things in your son's name. Amen.